Well, good morning. It is great to see you all this morning. I'm super pumped for this series. And here's kind of the whole gist with this series is that everything has a starting point. You, you had a starting point. Some of you were started on purpose. Uh, others of you, from your parents' perspective, were started on accident. But you had a starting point. Your, your education had a starting point. Your career had a starting point. Every relationship has a starting point. If you have children, your parenting had a starting point. Everything has a starting point. And how you start something usually determines how well it goes from that point forward. But something we don't consider or maybe we forget sometimes is that faith has a starting point as well. See, your faith, whatever faith you embrace, had a starting point. For some, your faith starting point might be actually happening right now. But for many of us, our faith journey or our faith starting point happened somewhere in childhood with a conversation with a parent or a pastor or a priest or something you heard at home or in mass or Sunday school or at camp or at vacation Bible school. It's interesting, somewhere in childhood probably, many of you were handed some basic building blocks that became the starting point, the foundation, the framework for your faith. And some of those building blocks or starting points might have been God is good, God is you know, God's great, God's good, thank you Jesus for our food, or maybe God rewards good and punishes evil, so you better be good, because if you're not, you know, fire and hell, and your face started out of fear of hell, and they literally scared the hell out of you, and that's why it started. Uh, you know, God answers prayers, God loves you, God created the world, God requires seven sacraments, so you better do those, because if you don't, remember, God rewards good and punishes evil, so make sure you do those. The, these starting points that maybe you started with, they made sense, you know, in a world where Santa visits frequently and the Easter bunny comes to, you know, makes regular house calls, but, you, and, and you may have had questions, you may have had doubts sometimes, but the adults you trusted, they seem to have confidence in their faith, so, you know, you remain committed to yours for the time being. Was well, fast forward a few years, many of us found ourselves confronted with the realities in which our childhood faith did not prepare us for. And the starting points for our faith, they took a hit. The foundation we thought was firm, it didn't support us anymore. The, the framework we were handed as children didn't hold up under the pressures of life. And we found ourselves wrestling with some questions around some of the starting points that we had. You know, you're going, hey, if, if God is good, why doesn't he do something about all the bad things happening in the world and happening to me? Like, why does so much evil go unpunished, and why does so many bad things happen to good people? Why hasn't God answered my prayers for my marriage and my kids and my health? Why doesn't it seem like God loves me? Why does science and God seem to contradict each other? Will, will my kids still go to heaven if I don't raise them Catholic? See, so often as we and the things around us matured, our faith didn't mature with us. And there ended up being irreconcilable differences in our minds. And the questions and the pressures and the realities of life chipped away at our faith uh, that started off so real. And a gap was formed between what we're experiencing and what we've been told. And some of us lost faith. Some of us abandoned faith. Some of us left our faith behind. Not because we wanted to. Our faith just wasn't relevant anymore in the world in which we now lived. See, I really think that one of the reasons that people end up abandoning faith, losing faith, becoming disinterested in faith, is simply because they didn't have the right starting point for faith. And, and I think it's also impacted all of us on some level. I think many of us need a new starting point for faith. So, for the next few weeks, we're going to hit the restart, re, restart button. And we're going to ask a few questions. 
We're going to ask the question, what would it look like to start all over again in regards to faith? Like if you didn't know anything, didn't know anything about the Bible, forgot all the Bible verses, forgot everything you were told about faith as a child, where would you start? Like where do we start if we started all over as it relates to faith? What's the starting point for faith, particularly for the Christian faith? So we're all going to start over all together. And we're going to hear some new things. We're going to hear some things maybe you've heard before. We're going to hear some challenging things. But let me just tell you, if you're skeptical of faith, you're in the right place. If you've abandoned your faith, you're in the right place. If you're hoping to have your faith reignited and you're hoping I say something that reignites a faith that you once had, you're in the right place. If you're new to faith, you're in the right place. If, if you're wanting to grow in your faith, if your faith is strong and you're just wanting to grow, you are in the right place. See, this series is so important for all of us because the, right start, the, 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 starting, or the starting point for faith, it changes everything. The wrong starting point for faith changes everything, and the right starting point for faith changes everything too. With the right starting point, with the right starting point, your faith can withstand the, the pressures and the realities of life. With the right starting point, your faith can go stronger through whatever season of life you find yourself in. With the right starting point, you can stand firm in the midst of the questions and in the midst of the doubts that you will have when it comes to faith. With with the right starting point, the, the, the gap between what you're experiencing and what you believe, they're easily reconcilable. With the right starting point, you're able to share your faith in a way that helps others start their faith journey well Uh, in a good way as well. And with the right starting point, God works through our faith to transform us more into everything he created us to be. Now, part of the problem. Part of the problem is that for so many, the starting point for our faith was the Bible says. Some of us grew up in an environment, in a home, in a church, and we were taught the Bible is God's word. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's all inspired from Genesis all the way through the maps. So respect it. Obey it. And from a young age, it, you know, we believe that if the Bible said, says it, that settles it. We were taught Bible stories. We probably read some Bible stories. And we always, we always believed it all to be true. And Adam and Eve and Noah and Jesus and Moses and Jesus coming back, all true, all on equal terms. And, and that's just the way we were raised. Others of us grew up in a home where we didn't have a Bible. Or we grew up in a church where we, weren't, we were encouraged not to read the Bible because it was the pastor, the priest, priest's job to tell us everything that was in it. And you may know a few Bible stories, and you may now even have a Bible sitting on a shelf at your house, but you've never viewed it as God's word, you've never viewed it as all true, and so for you, the Bible says it doesn't settle anything. Others of us used to believe what the Bible says, we go, it's not that simple anymore. Because somewhere, someone along the way pointed out what else the Bible says. They they brought to your attention something that didn't get talked about in home didn't get talked about in the church you grew up with, didn't get talked about in the Sunday school that you had. And now you finish college and you're in your career and the world is going on and there's, you have a difficult time reconciling what the Bible says with the world and reality in which you live in. And you can't just look the other way, so you decided to walk away or are considering walking away. All because your starting point was like a house of cards that came tumbling down after one card was, from your perspective, removed. Over the next few weeks, we're going to discover something that's going to be challenging to some of you. 
that's going to be hard for some of you, that's going to be misunderstood by some of you, that's going to be relieving to some of you, and that's going to be pleasantly surprising to some of you. And before I say what I'm going to say next, let me just tell you, like, as I say this, some of you is going to make you uncomfortable with me saying this. Do not write me an email right now, no matter how uncomfortable you are. Don't write me an email. You, can, you need to hang on till the end of this series, and then at the end of this series, if you want to write me an email, write me an email. But if you write me one this week, I'm going to boop, delete it. So just so you know, don't write me an email. It's going to make you uncomfortable, some of you, and I'm about to say next. And that is, the Bible says is not an adequate starting point. See, for many people, it's not enough to say to them, I'm going to help you start your faith, or I'm going to help you restart your faith. The Bible says so and so and so and so, and you go tell them what the Bible says. And they would go, I know what the Bible says, but let me tell you about my job. Let me tell you about my pain. Let me tell you about my marriage. Let me tell you about my life. If you think you're going to start my faith with the Bible says, I need you to know I'm not interested in all that. I don't view it how you view it. See, the Bible says it may be adequate starting point for children, but not for people who didn't grow up believing it's God's word or who question it as God's word. Well, the good news, the reassuring news, and the surprising news, maybe for some of you, is that the Bible says was never intended to be the starting point for faith. And I say that because it wasn't the starting point for faith for the very first followers of Christ who ever walked this earth. Now, before I explain what I mean by that, uh, we need to get on the same page about what I mean the Bible. What we now call the Bible is divided into two main parts. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the story of God and the Hebrew people and God's covenant with them. 39 books written by 28 different authors written over a period of about 2,000 years. All of it written before Jesus. And what, and what we now call the Old Testament, it was referred to as the Hebrew Scriptures until about the 4th century. Then we have the New Testament. The New Testament is the story of Jesus, his life, death, his resurrection, his church, and God's covenant that's available to all people. 27 books, uh, 9 different authors, spans a period of less than 100 years. All, all, all written after the events of Jesus' life in the 1st century. Now, what you got to know is that the documents that make up the New Testament weren't collected together and bound together in a book for 300 plus years after the events of Jesus' life. That means for over 300 years after Jesus, no one could say the New Testament says because there was no New Testament. There were just the Hebrew scriptures and some documents and some letters about the you know, the life of Jesus, the, you know, the, the, the resurrection of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus that, that, that circulated throughout the Mediterranean, written by the apostles, those who had been with Jesus or the companions of the apostles, but there was no New Testament. Yet by the time, we, uh, by the time what we now call the New Testament was bound together, there were hundreds of thousands of followers of Christ. By the time, you know, these documents are put together and bound together in what we now call the New Testament, hundreds of thousands of people had put their faith in Jesus by then, had proclaimed Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord, as their leader, as their God, had asked Jesus to be the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life. Not because the Bible says... Because there was no the Bible up to that point. For 300 plus years, the starting point for faith had nothing to do with the Bible says because the Bible didn't exist. So the question is, is what was the starting point for faith before there was the Bible? Like what was the starting point for hundreds of thousands of people who put their faith in Jesus 
the first 300 years after Jesus? How did for 300 plus years people become followers of Christ if there was no the Bible that served as the starting point for their faith? Well, I want to begin answering that question today because I believe their starting point needs to be our starting point. I believe if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for you and it's good enough for me. And what we're going to discover today and throughout this series is this. The starting point for faith is an event that leads to a question. The starting point for faith is an event that leads to a question. Now today, we're going to listen into a conversation between the Apostle Paul and a group of people who knew nothing of Jesus, who have never heard of Jesus, who wanted to believe in something bigger than themselves but weren't sure that they would ever know with certainty what or who that was. Now, the Apostle Paul, you need to know, he wasn't always one of Jesus' apostles. He stepped onto the pages of history as one who was leading the, uh, the persecution of followers of Christ, who was leading the persecution of the church in Jerusalem. Paul hated Christ's followers, but then Paul became one. Not because of something he read, there was nothing to read, but because of something that happened. And after Paul ended up putting his faith in Jesus for the next 30 years or so, he traveled around the Mediterranean, starting churches throughout the Roman Empire and writing letters to them. Thirteen of his letters ended up surviving antiquity and are now part of our New Testament. The, the conversation that we're uh, looking at today takes place about 20 years after the events of Jesus' life, and it's recorded in the New Testament book that we call Acts. And just so you don't argue that I'm using circular reasoning, Acts wasn't written with scripture in mind. What we now call the book of Acts was actually written as a travel journal by a doctor who tra named Luke who traveled with Paul. When, when Luke was writing, Luke had no idea that the Bible would ever exist. Luke had no idea that he was writing a book of our Bible. He was simply recording what he saw he was simply recording what he observed. Now, as we listen to this conversation today, my goal is not that you believe all this to be true. My goal is that you see how Paul presented the good news of Jesus with a group of people who had never heard anything about Jesus. Because in this conversation, we get to the center, we get to the heart, we get to the starting point of faith in Jesus. So, here we go. While Paul was waiting for them, Paul's waiting for his travel companions who hadn't caught up with him. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, this is the same Athens, Greece that you can go visit today. It's a very real place. You can still go visit and all, you know, th this today. In, in the first century, they're going to understand the people of Athens, like most people during that time, they believed in a pantheon of gods. So Paul is in Athens. He's waiting for his travel companions to catch up with him. He's walking around. He, see, he sees idols everywhere. Well, instead of being disgusted by it, Paul decided to engage in conversation. So he reasoned, Paul, he reasoned in the synagogue with, synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, Greeks who ended up becoming Jewish, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be here, so, be there. So Paul is walking around, he's seeing all this, he's engaging people in conversation about their religion, which wasn't hard because in Athens, Athens is full of philosophers who love to discuss ideas, examine ideas. The story goes on. A group of Epicurean, and Epicureans believe that you couldn't figure anything out, so have another glass of wine, live it up. And Stoics, Stoics believe if you gave them enough time, they could figure everything out. So we have Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. They began to debate with him. So Paul meets this group of philosophers who would engage with him on a deep level about
about the gods, about philosophy, about the latest ideas. And some of them, some of these philosophers asked Paul, asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Because what Paul was saying was brand new to them. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Now this is a big deal. Because the people in Athens, they believed in so many gods, you couldn't even keep track of them. Right, so they had, well, they had altars all over the place. However, if you were going to come into Athens and introduce a new god into Athens, you had to get permission from the city council. Because they knew a new idea about a new god, it could split families, it could split communities, it could split the entire city and you know, just start chaos. So you had to get permission from the city council to introduce a new god. And they, it goes on, they said this, that Paul was advocating foreign gods that they'd never heard of because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now remember, everything Paul knew about Jesus, everything Paul knew about the resurrection was not because of what he read. There was nothing to read at this point. It came from what he saw and from, from what others who he knew and who he trusted saw, a resurrected Jesus. Verse 19. Then they took him and brought him into a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. They're saying, Hey, we've never heard any of this before. So they take Paul to this revered place in the middle of Athens called Mars Hill, where the city council met. And they took him there because this was the place of judgment. This was the place where they had civil trials. They, they, they took him there to decide if they were going to allow him to spread this new idea that they've never heard before. And they said to him, you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we would like to know what they mean. Hey, Paul, for the benefit of the city council, start from the beginning and explain it to us. And this was the starting point for people who had never heard of Jesus. Paul stood up in the middle of the meeting of Areopagus on Mars Hill and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way. You are very religious. So he does something smart. He starts off with some common ground with them, doesn't offend them. Good, smart job, Paul. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, this is actually pretty interesting. At, at, at this point in time in the first century in Athens, there's altars all over the city to all these different gods, this pantheon of gods. And just in case they missed one, they built an altar to an unknown god. It had unknown god written on the front. And here's what this altar was. It was the just-in-case altar. Hey, who's that altar built for? We don't know. But if that god shows up, we can say, hey, we're expecting you. We just didn't know what name to put on the altar. That's really what it was. They were willingly acknowledging the gaps in their knowledge and were covering all their bases just in case. Now, what this signal to Paul and what he leveraged off was, was, hey, there's uncertainty and lack of confidence on their part. They're saying, we don't know, but just in case. And you laugh at them, but many of us are the same way. Like, as many, like, many of us, like, we, only times we go to churches on Christmas and Easter and like, hey, why do you do that? I don't know. Just in case. Or you have some jewelry that you wear around your neck or you wrap around your hand and every time something bad happens to you or you sin or whatever, you start rubbing that thing and you're like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? I don't know, but just in case. Or when you sin, you know, you pray five Hail Marys and throw up three Our Fathers and you're like, why are you doing that? You're like, I don't know, but just in case. 
you know, memorize verses and throw plaques all over your wall of verses in, you know, me and my house, we serve the Lord over your sink. And you're like, why are you doing all that? And you're like, I don't know, just in case. Or you feel compelled to drop some offering in the offering buck. You've never given before, but it comes by and you're stirring. It's like, why are you feel compelled to do that? You're like, I don't know, but just in case. That's what they were doing. I don't know. Just in case. And Paul's going, hey, you're very religious. You want to know, like, you, you want to know what's out there. And you know there's something bigger than you out there. You just don't know what it is. And then he says this. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. Now, he didn't mean dumb. He didn't call them dumb. They're not dumb. He meant, you're guessing. You're guessing. Like, you're guessing, aren't you? And they're like, yeah, we're guessing. You're not certain, are you? They're like, no, we're not certain. If we were certain, we would have an altar sitting over there with the name unknown God on the front. You know what unknown means, right? It means don't know. And then Paul says this, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. That's why I'm here. So, hey, come on, come on over. Come on over to your altar of the unknown God, and I'm about ready to take the un off the known. I'm going to make known to you something you do not know. See, Paul views this just-in-case altar as an opportunity to present the message of Jesus with them. But he couldn't begin with, the Bible says, because there was no New Testament at this point in history. So instead, Paul drew their attention to the fact that their curiosity regarding God was a universal curiosity. He says, the God. And they're like, whoa, Paul, you mean the gods? He's like, nope, one God, singular, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Saying, hey, this unknown God you have that altar for over there, he's bigger than all your, all your other gods put together. He's the creator that cannot be contained by his creation. And don't even bother trying to build an altar for him. And by the way, he certainly ain't going to fit over on that little altar you have for him over there. He's too big for that. He's too powerful for that. He goes on. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He's saying all your gods, all your gods are just itty-bitty gods. And you keep bringing offerings to them and gold and burning incense and dropping off, you know, chips and candy bars. You know, trying to bribe them, trying to convince them to do something for you. But let me tell you about this unknown God. He doesn't need anything from you. He is the God who is self-sustaining. He goes on. Rather, he, this God, gives, uh, himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He's saying everything that's good that's come in your life, life itself has come from this massive, sovereign, creator God that you've labeled unknown. And then he says this, from one man. And they knew Paul's referring to this guy named Jesus because Paul already introduced them earlier to the name of Jesus. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him. They would investigate and perhaps reach out to him. And kind of the image there is, is like groping around in the dark for a light switch. You're reaching out, you know it's somewhere, and you're trying to find it and find him, though he is not far from many of us. Paul's saying there's something in every single person that wonders about something bigger, about this God, and questions and seeks. God knew people would seek him. He's saying God knew you would seek him. 
saying, look at all your idols, guys. Look at all your idols. You're God seekers. You didn't even know it. And you want to know with certainty. But there's uncertainty. And that's why you have an altar with the name unknown on it. But the God who created you knew that. And knew that you would ask questions. Knew that you would seek. Knew that you would feel around in the darkness for him. And he knew perhaps you would find him because he's not that far from any of us. God wants to be found by you. He's saying God wants to be found by you so much that he entered creation in the form of a man. This man's name is Jesus. And then Paul does something really, really cool. He quotes something. Not from the Bible. Remember, there's no New Testament at this point in time. And they don't care about the Hebrew scriptures. They're not Jewish. Paul quotes their own philosophers. Paul quotes their own poets. He digs into their culture to show how they bumped into this truth about this big unknown but not so far off God. And here's what he quotes from their philosophers and poets. For in him we live and move and have our being. Some of your own poets have even said. We are his offspring. And they're like, yeah, we know what our philosophers have written. We know what our poets have written. Paul says, see, you've touched on this. You've touched on this. But there's so much more. He goes on. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that, divine, that, that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. He's saying, it, Paul's saying it's impossible to reduce this big, grand, glorious creator, sovereign God that you've called unknown into an image. And then Paul digs a little. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now, but now, and this is huge. Paul's about to say, in the past, God understood people were seeking. He understood people were blinded. He understood there was darkness, that people knew there was something more, but they didn't know what. And so they built these temples. They built these altars. But now, and Paul's referring now as in his lifetime, their lifetime, in this generation that we are now living. But now, God has done something not just for the Jews. God has done something not just for the people of Athens. God has done something for every single person in this world. But now, he commands all people everywhere. To repent. And we hear the word repent, we think of repent from sin. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He hasn't mentioned sin. He hasn't even brought sin up. Nowhere has he even talked about that. Like this is not about sin as Paul's talking to them. When he talks about repent here, this means change your mind. He's saying now that God has done something new, he wants us to rethink who he is and what he is like right now in our lifetime. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man. And once again, they knew he was talking about this guy named Jesus, the man he has appointed. He's saying, hey, this big unknown God that you keep talking about, he has set, he has appointed a man, a divine man who he created everything and everyone through, who now has the ability and now has the authority to rule and judge the world with perfect justice. And they're going, Paul, that's real easy to say. Paul, that's real easy to claim. And then Paul says this, he has given proof of this to everyone. And I imagine a pause. They're like, Paul, come on. We're talking about faith. You can't have proof with faith. It's why we have a just-in-case altar sitting over there with the word unknown on the front of it. You're saying that there's proof to this new thing that you're telling about? Paul's like, yeah. 
They're like, hey, you mean evidence? Nope. Proof. Wait, you're telling us that you know this with certainty? Yep. That's why I'm here. Now, Paul would say, in this age, God has done something that gives us proof of everything I just said. See, the people in Athens, their faith was just filled with uncertainty. Paul's? Paul's was filled with confidence. Why? Because he claimed to have proof. And proof is powerful. Proof moves us from hope so, I don't know, just in case, to know so, to confidence, to certainty. They're saying, hey, Paul, what has God done that you can have this kind of certainty? What proof do you have that this man, Jesus, is who you says he is and can do all that you claim he can do? And Paul says, here's my proof. By him raising him from the dead. Paul said, I didn't read about this. There's nothing to read. I have proved Jesus who he claimed to be, the son of God who came to offer salvation and eternal life to every single person because of one thing. Because he didn't stay dead. Because he rose from the dead. And listen, people of Athens, listen. I just came from the place where it happened. When I, and I talked to hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses. And I want you to know, I didn't believe it either. But then, one day, I met risen Jesus. God has done something in our generation as proof that he knows us, as proof that he loves us, and as proof that he can be known by us. And I realize some of you, that's, you know, that's hard for you to embrace. You're skeptical. Of this, but you need to know this was not easy for Paul's skeptical audience to embrace either. Either They had never heard of Jesus. The notion of a single God was difficult enough for them. And the idea that God had entered creation in the form of a man was out of the realm of possibility for them. See, the starting point, though, that Paul gave them for proof, it was not the insights of Jesus. It was not the teachings of Jesus. It was not the parables of Jesus. Paul didn't mention any of that. The starting point that Paul gave them for proof was not the Bible said because no one had written anything yet. The starting point that God gave them for that, that Paul gave them for proof was an event. The resurrection of Jesus. See the starting point? The starting point for faith is not about what Jesus and the writers of Jesus said, the writers of Scripture said before Jesus died. The starting point of faith is what happened three days after he died. He rose from the dead. Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. More on that later in the series. But here's how this story ends. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, they fell on their knees, confessed that Jesus was Lord, and set about destroying all their idols and altars. I made all that up. None of, that, none of that's in there. Not a single word of it. You know that if you read the Bible, but you don't, so I could freak you out. If this was a made-up Bible story, this is what you'd expect. If this was just a made-up Bible story, you'd expect this kind of like, you know, Cinderella Disney ending. But this isn't a made-up story. This is a real conversation in a real place between real people that a real guy was recording what's happening. And here's really how it went. 
when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. They're like, nope, got to go. Like, if that's the starting point, I ain't starting. Hey, I may not have certainty about everything, but one thing I'm certain of is dead people stay dead. So some of them sneered. But others said, hmm, hmm, we want to hear you again on this subject. Some of them left, but a few people said, hmm, I'm not so sure, but I want to know more. Hey, Paul, who is this Jesus? You see, the starting point for, for faith is not the Bible says it, so just believe it. The starting point for faith is an event that leads to a question. And the question is not, were Adam and Eve really naked? The question is not, did the whole earth really flood? The question is not, did God create the world in seven literal days or did he create it in 7,000 you know, years and millennium? The question is not, how did God create everything? The question is not, is the earth 6,000 years old or 6 billion years old? The question is not, why doesn't God do something about the bad things happening to me and in the world? The question is not, why does so much evil seem to go unpunished and why does so, so many bad things happen to good people? And the question is not, why hasn't God answered my prayers? The starting point for faith is a question and the question, the one question to start, to restart, to maintain, to grow your faith is, who is Jesus? That's the question. As a matter of fact, this is the question that all faiths have to confront at some point in time. So when Paul had an opportunity to talk to people who didn't know anything, he started with creation then he got to God cares and revealed himself in a, in, in a man who is a savior, who is, who is Lord of all. And if you have a hard time believing that, and of course they have a hard time believing that, of course you would have a hard time believing that. God decided to prove it by raising him from the dead. And the question that will always be the starting point question is, who is Jesus? The question that Paul left the hill that day for them to wrestle with was, who is Jesus? And that's the question that we're just going to leave it with hanging today. But the good news is the name of this series is Starting Point. And we're just getting started. But before you go, I want to give you a few questions to wrestle with before you come back next week. For either you tune in as you're sitting on your couch with your spouse, wrestle with, or when you drive home, wrestle through your family this, this week, and your T-Life groups, wrestle through these questions. This first question is for those of you who would say, I haven't put my faith in Jesus. I would never not call myself a follower of Christ. You know, I've kind of got drug here. can't even believe I showed up. I'm skeptical, but I'm kind of seeking. I'm curious. I'm interested. Here's my question for you. To wrestle with this week. If you could have one question answered in this series, what would it be? If you have one question answered, what would it be? Now, this question has some follow-up questions to it. My follow-up question to this is, if I answered that question for you, would that be enough to be the starting point of your faith? If I answered that one question, would you all of a sudden go, boom, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. That was it. If I answered that question for you, would that be good enough to be the foundation that your faith was built on from this point forward? It's good to wrestle through that question. For those of you who maybe have walked away from faith or are struggling with your faith right now, my question for you that wrestle through this week is, what's the foundation of your faith? 
What, what, I mean, what's the thing that you always start with when it comes to your faith? Is that starting, is that starting point holding up through the, pressure, the pressures and the seasons of life? Wrestle through that. If not, you may need a new starting point. And then my question for every single person, whether you'd say you're a follower of Christ or not, you're struggling with faith or not, you're super strong in your faith, you're wanting to grow in your faith, you're skeptical, you're searching, you're, you, know, you think you should be up here preaching this, like wherever you're at, here's my question for every single one of us to wrestle through this week. Who do you believe Jesus is? And why in the world do you believe that? And how does that affect your faith in God, your confidence in God, your trust in God? So wrestle through these questions. Because as you wrestle through these, I think it's going to pave the way for what we're coming about, what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. And just maybe, by the end of this series, your faith will get started or restarted or reignited or grown. Now, uh, before we go, I want to challenge a couple things. First, for all of you who are in a T-Life group, and T-Life group leaders in particular, Right now, for the next eight weeks, I want you to, if you're doing something else right now, I want you to put that to a side, and I want you to focus in on this as a T-Life group together. Like, use the group discussion questions and, and dig into the different passages of Scripture we give you over the next eight weeks together. Because there's people in your, starting, in your, in your group, someone maybe needs their faith restarted or reignited or started for the first time, or everyone needs their faith grown. So dig into this together. Lead well. T-Life group leaders. Lead well. And you're going to get asked a lot of questions that you don't know the answers to. And you know what you say? I don't know. And that's okay. You don't need to know all the answers to all the questions. But digging it together. For those of you who are like, man, I'm interested. I'm kind of skeptical. I'm interested. In this. I really want to dig into this more. I'm never, I haven't put my faith in Jesus. I don't know where it's at. Or maybe I just did put my faith in Jesus. But I got to dig into this. Like, I really, I really want to ask questions without pressure and judgment, and I'm not in a T-Life group, and like, so I can't do that there, we have a short-term group at Relevant called Starting Point. It's actually, this whole series is based on the curriculum that we have with Starting Point. Well, the good news is, is we're offering three Starting Point short-term groups throughout this series, and they all start this week, and they all go throughout, the, throughout this series. And so if you're like, I want to wrestle through these questions and ask questions that I have without fear, pressure, and judgment, sign up for Starting Point. But here's the deal, you got to sign up today. Because they all start, all three of them start within the next 72 hours. And so if you want to get in, today's the last day to sign up uh, to, get, to get into one of those. Now, if you would say, I'm a follower of Christ and I'm really strong in my faith, but I'd like to go through starting point, don't do that. Leave it for someone else. Do it later. Get in a T-Life group. You wrestle there, all right? Keep, keep the spots open for people who are really, or if you want to get in it too because you want to show how smart you are. They don't need to see how smart you are. We got it. You're super awesome. So don't, don't do that. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you for loving us, for pursuing us, for making a way that we can have a starting point in a relationship with you. That just blows my mind that we can, the holy God that you are, the sovereign God that you are, creator God that you are, the known God that you are. I pray throughout this series, God, every person who hasn't started faith in you, that it starts. For those who need reignited, it reignites. And for all of us who have faith, it just grows. Our confidence in you grows. Our trust in you grows. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.